This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, everyone. This is your producer, Jemmy, with episode 2018, a best of. The gang is out today at the WEG slash Hurricane Florence after party. So we are rolling things back to February 18th, 2014. And Christy Landwehr from the Certified Horsemanship Association joined in as co-host, along with some special guests for a show full of tips on cantering. Listen in. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. Hello, everyone, and I'm Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to a special training episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 18th, episode 852. This episode is brought to you by Free Ride Western Safety Stirrups. Good morning, Horse World. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get? Yes. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. We appreciate you joining us here on this Tuesday morning at Horses in the Morning. Good morning, Christy. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you, Glenn. How are you today? Terrific. It's so good. This is our second chat with Christy here on our special training episodes that we do on the third Tuesday of every month here on Horses in the Morning. And I don't know, did you get any feedback from uh, from your fans over at the Certified Horsemanship Association? Did they like the first episode? You know what, Glenn, we did. We got lots of um, calls and emails, and I even got a few texts for those that get the cell phone number. And it was good. Yes, everyone um, really enjoyed it. They said that they're excited. Some people were excited to possibly be on. Some people were excited to listen to more Horses in the Morning shows because they hadn't necessarily heard one before. There was a lot of different comments. It was We were happy with it. Well, we like that. We like it when uh, new people find us and tune in. We always tell people, you have to give us about a week to get used to us, and then, then you'll like us. We can't guarantee you're going to like us in the first couple of days. Because we are a morning show, so, you know, we tend to be morning show-like. And I think that the horse world has never had that before, so it's a little different for a lot of people. But we have fun, and we chat about horses. And what more could you want, right? So, Glenn, are you saying that you grow on people like a fungus? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it's either that or they use some they use something and get rid of the fungus before we grow on them. One or the other. All right. Uh, yes. <laughs> Jennifer, what do we have going on on today's show? On today's Certified Horsemanship Association Tuesday edition, we are off at a canter. So Judy Taylor and Julie Goodnight will be stopping by today as we take a very detailed look at cantering and lead changes. And I'm sure we will be covering things like how not to do it and how to do it correctly. Stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you. Julie Goodnight has been coming on our shows. We've been doing this for five years now. 
we have over 3,200 episodes that we've done of all the different shows. And she came on with us, I think, probably five years ago. At the very beginning, she was one of our first guests, and she was so gracious to do that. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Julie again. We have really enjoyed Julie. Julie's now a master certified instructor with us, Glenn and Jennifer, and she also used to be our program director, so she used to be staff for the association. And she's a dear friend. She lives um, relatively close to me in Colorado terms, about four hours away, and I'm right by the airport. So when she started her whirlwind travel, we actually called our guest room for a while Julie's room. (laughs) She just stops over, huh? She did, quite a bit. Yeah, she said, I'm not going to drive back to Salida after being on the airplane all day. Can I come by? We're like, sure you can. So that worked out well. <laughs> yeah, she's delightful. I've met her in person a few times and uh, seen a couple of her clinics. And uh, there are a lot of fans here in Florida. Julie has a lot of fans in Ocala. I've talked to several people who just look forward to when she comes over here for clinics. So uh, she's loved here as well. Well, I have a great story for you if you guys are ready for a story. Yeah, we're ready. It was a good segue. All right. So I have the husband who's a fabulous husband. We'll feed the horses while I'm gone, but that's about all he wants to do. He's like, I'm not going to pick up the manure. I'm not going to put the blanket on, even if it's minus 10. I'm not doing that. But I will make sure they have hay and water. Okay. So with that in mind, Julie came and she was doing a clinic at our place, and uh, you got to have um, two rides for free back then. And I couldn't ride. I was eight months pregnant. And I had two horses at the time, so I said, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and put one of my students on my mare. I have a quarter horse mare. And then I said, the Appaloosa Thoroughbred, um, I'm going to put John up on the Appaloosa Thoroughbred. His name is Chip. And John's ridden him a couple of times, but he's not an arena guy. He's definitely an out on the trail. I don't see any point in being in the arena. That's boring. We go in circles. This is lame. I don't want to do this. I want to go out on the trail. So, of course, this is going to be an arena extravaganza. And, again, keep in mind, he's never ridden in an arena. So they all get up there, and there's like 15 of them, and they were in a dance enough group that they had, they were kind of walking and trotting together. And then she says, all right, everybody, pick up Tanner, and I'm standing next to, to Rich, <laughs> Julie's husband. And I said, this should be interesting, and Rich goes, why, is he never cantered? I go, only in a straight line. So we pick up Tanner, and of course, she, he doesn't know how to cue for a lead. He just drives with both heels, and she picks up whatever he feels like picking up, and away they go. So... A lot of the ladies in the clinic, John was the only man, um, were not going on the rail very well. Well, John's an old motorcycle rider. He's like, well, no problem. You're not going to go on the rail. I'm going to the outside. So he kept passing these four ladies on the outside. And every time he came by, Rich and I, we were like, John, not to the inside. But he heard nothing. He just heard, blah, blah, blah. And he'd look at us and be like, shrug his shoulders. I don't know what's going on was the funniest thing. I almost had my baby early. We were <laughs> laughing. It was great. So finally, Julie goes, everybody halt. So everybody halts. And she goes like this to John. It gives the, you know, the wave of the finger, like, you need to come in the center, my dear. You're going to go to the principal's office now. So it comes John with his head down. Yes, Julie, you have to pass to the inside, she says. Okay, Julie, so back out on the rail they go. They reverse, and he learned a valuable lesson that day of how to ride in the arena at Cantor. He's never done it since, has he? Oh, no. Probably (laughs) never will. (laughs) See, I knew that because I'm a horse husband. I get all of that. What you just said, I get. And, you know, it makes perfect sense to pass on the outside. That's what you do when you're driving a car. You You don't pass on the inside. You pass on the outside. 
Absolutely. That's Makes the biggest hole. Sense. I'm going to go right there. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and if nothing else, you could practice to be a jockey because there, you know, you could pass on the outside. You do whatever you want. Absolutely. Well, he was just so funny because, of course, he rides motorcycles. You know how we always say, never ride your uh, horse like a bike or a motorcycle. You don't want to drop your shoulder. Well, he kept dropping that shoulder, so Chip kept switching his lead. So Chip's going along (laughs) on the left, supposedly on the right lead, left lead, right lead, left lead, doing these beautiful tempe changes because my thoroughbred's amped up at this point going, this is so cool. I get to pass on the outside. Mother never lets me pass on the outside. Oh, my goodness. It was a fun, fun day. You know, it's funny that you say you had an Appalachian named Chip because we did too. Uh, oh, we really? had an Appalachian named Chip. He wasn't a thoroughbred. He was a big fat Appaloosa, but uh, he was he was all happy and he was a, he was the kind you'd take him out and uh, you could ride almost anybody could ride this horse. But every trail ride out there, and your your fans are going to appreciate this. Every single trail ride, he would lull you into this wonderful, peaceful place because he was just so good until he crow hopped just once on every trail ride and every single person came off of him because he just had it down pat. You know, he just had it right. He just knew the exact time. Yeah, he, he, he got, he, I think he even got you, Jennifer. I think he got you a time or two because he just, you just got so complacent riding him because he was so good until that crow hop. <laughs> Here's my moment. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Now, what do you I have, have more slides? Story. Yeah. What do I have? Yeah, what I only have, have, more... I have two right now. So I still have the um, Appaloosa Thoroughbred. I still have Chip. And his name is Chip Off the Dot. I wish I had come up with that. That's actually pretty creative. Instead of chip off the block, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> but he's a strawberry roan. And then I've got a um, foundation quarter horse mare named Jesse Jane. Oh, cool. Cool. You live in Colorado, you have to own a quarter horse. I think it's required. Required by law, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I think you have to have one. I don't think they let the you have the, just the thoroughbred. You have to have a quarter horse, too. Uh, I could there pull are rules. Pedigree and say, look, there are some quarter horses on here, I swear. They're deep within, but there are some. <laughs> <laughs> you were telling me a story yesterday I had me cracking up about uh, about a certain time when you were pregnant. I know. Why are all the funny stories when I'm pregnant? It's because I'm not on the horse or I have to get on the horse in a weird, awkward movement. Yes. All right. This is another cantering story. So I was at a CHA clinic, actually, and we do some clinics called Combined Clinics where you can get up to level two in arena riding, and then you can get up to level two in guiding people out on the trail and actually doing an overnight. So you're critiqued on how you picket line, high line, um, hobble them, um, Dutch oven cook even, all of those types of things. So before we had headed out on the overnight, we had an arena moment where um, there was some young people in this clinic that were getting certified who were either in high school still or out of high school just going to college, and they wanted to kind of be one of those folks that goes for the summer and gets a summer camp job. And so they hadn't really been around horses a whole lot. They maybe had one of their own, but they had never really taught. So most of them are going to end up getting maybe level one, which is to be able to safely teach, walk, trot. Well, this one girl, she wanted to go for it. She said, I'm going to try canner. Do you mind? And we said, no, that's fine. But we didn't have a whole lot of people there that could canner really well, and especially in a role-playing situation. So I said, well, I need to get on. And I was probably six months pregnant at the time. 
and with my first child. So I wasn't quite as large, but I still had a little bit of a belly and a little bit of weight issues. Um, and as far as, you know, when you shift, the horse feels that shift when you weigh a little bit more, um, especially when you're not balanced because you're not used to carrying the beach ball in the belly. So she says, all right, we're going to go ahead and get up and we're going to canter. Okay, that's fine. So we get up and uh, she has us all do a circle around her and she asks us one at a time to go ahead and pick it up. And remember, we're role-playing that we've never cantered before. I think she made us like her age, so we were, you know, 18, 19, but we had never, ever cantered before. So she goes, all right, everyone, go ahead and um, canter. And this is how she tells us to do it. Lean in and kick. I said, excellent. I'm going to lean in and kick. So I leaned in and kicked. The poor girl had to get out of the way. Because this poor horse is like, excellent. We're leaning in and kicking. I guess we're going to do a little spin to the left. (laughs) So, yeah, so she quickly learned, open the outside rein, use your inside leg, and get away from me. Okay, good. Very good. But I'll tell you, you know, and a lot of people out there don't necessarily believe in – doing any kind of riding when you're pregnant. I had an OBGYN who was an ex-fox hunting gal and a pony clubber, and she said, Chris, you're not starting a new sport. It's not like you're going to go do ice skating. She said, we have no trouble at all with you going ahead and walk, trot, and cantering as long as you can fit behind your saddle, if you're in a western saddle, and as long as you feel balanced. She said, but the minute you don't feel balanced and you don't be, feel safe, then you go ahead and don't do it anymore. So at about seven months with the first and four months with the second, I said, I'm good. I don't need to do this anymore. But that, that that was a funny little moment with the canner. I know a lot of uh, women, you know, quit right away. And then Jamie, I think she rode up to her ninth month, you know, so, you know, she, she was riding all the way up to the bitter end. Uh, We always tell the story of Jessica Phoenix, the eventer out of Canada. And uh, she rode, uh, up to two days before she had the baby. And then she, she did actually did a three day event two weeks after she had the baby. So now I think that's kind of the exception to the rule and crazy. (laughs) But you know what, if you're physically fit, you're physically fit. And I'll tell you, it's so much easier being physically fit and carrying a baby than not physically fit. My, I was a lot more fit for my first one and boy, it was a lot easier on my back and everything else. But you know, there's, there's one thing that I'm sure Jody and um, Julie might bring up later on today, so I want to go ahead and just say it really quick because it's funny. Sometimes when I teach canner, right, you kind of want that feeling of bearing down, right? You want to actually use your core and bear down to get with the groove of the horse. You don't want to pinch with your thighs and have a lot of daylight underneath your seat and be bouncing around. So to the guys, I say, well, it's kind of like having a balance. You kind of have to bear down, right? And they laugh at me. And with the ladies that have had babies before, I go, it's like having your baby. And they're like, got it. I'm on it. I know how to do this bear down thing. So you can use it to your advantage in your teaching. Well, now, you said, uh, so with these classes that you have that you were just describing, do you get a lot of people who run uh, trail rides into the mountains and things? Uh, The wranglers come out, you know, first-time wranglers come out and spend time with you? Absolutely, especially in those combined clinics because they're going to be taking people out into the wilderness on like an overnight, let's say, as part of their dude ranch experience. So that dude ranch owner wants to make sure that those wranglers have some staff training. So instead of doing the staff training themselves, they'll say, hey, here's our horses, our tack, go ahead and get them situated in the next five days, take them on the overnight, make sure that you cut the branches while you're on the trail and take care of everything and clear it out for us and train our staff. So we do. Well, that's good. I, you know, I'm glad there is a place that does that because it's so important. And we've all been on the on the trail rides where they had no training whatsoever. 
uh, you know, where they were barely better than uh, than uh, than the the new new people on the ride. So that is good. Absolutely. And to tease people for a future show, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be um, which month exactly, but we are going to definitely have to talk about some teaching and exercises out on the trail tips where we focus primarily on the trail. And, oh, there's some good stories that we'll have a lot of laughter that morning. There's some, oh, boy, some of the places, like you said, Glenn, where you go are not created equal to other places, let me tell you. You know, there's one of our musician today that's doing the song for us uh, later on in the show. Jared Rogerson is a regular and a friend of the Horse Radio Network. He has the ideal job that uh, that your listeners will appreciate. He he actually works for the Fish and Wildlife Service, and one of his jobs is to go into the mountains on horseback, and he documents elk. I think it's elk or one one of the, one of those animals. And he actually will spend a week at a time riding his horse through the mountains, and he gets paid for it. So, I mean, he has the ideal job, trail rides, he, by himself most of the time, all times of the year. He's, in, I think, in uh, Wisconsin, and he just goes up into the mountains for, for a week at a time and camps out and, and documents these animals that, uh, for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, there's a dream job for a lot of people. That would be fun, wouldn't it? And especially for those that like to be inside their own head sometimes, too, and get away from it all, you know? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, his wife rides, too, and, you know, sometimes she'll go out with him, so they get to have that experience as well. Uh, neat guy. You'll enjoy his music. He's coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, we have a guest that you're bringing on to talk a little bit about Safety, it's uh, one of the, the things that the CHA is very concerned with. His name is Tim Harvey. Why don't you introduce him for us? I would love to. Um, Tim and I actually met at a trade show, and I had just had the experience as a teacher of one of my um, gentleman riders had size 14 western boots. And unlike a lot of your cutters and ropers that might actually buy a size bigger in boots, so if they get hung up and fall off, the boot comes off. Well, he was a beginning rider. He doesn't know anything about that. So he came, and um, he's riding my mare in a lesson, and my stirrups fit probably size 12 and under. And sure enough, we kind of got his foot in the 14 in the stirrup, and I thought, you know, I would love to have a peacock style which is where there's the rubber band on the English stirrup, so it pops off in Western. Why has nobody made this yet? Because they kind of worry, I was right on the verge. So sure enough, I had him take his feet out of the stirrups and ride at the walk trot without him that day. I said, you know what, I'm not comfortable with you having feet in the stirrups. This is a no stirrup day. And he did fine. He, you know, his upper thighs were a little bit more sore the next day, but he did fine. So then I go ahead and I'm walking around this trade show that very weekend and I see Tim and he has these stirrups and so I'm thrilled to have him on today. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? We're doing well, Tim. How are you? Oh, I'm just doing fine and dandy. It's a nice warm day. I'm you know, down in Florida. I'm just north of Ocala. We, in, uh, it's a nice sunny day and, I don't know, 45 degrees or so right now. So a whole lot better than where I usually am in, up in New Hampshire, I can tell you that. <laughs> you and Glenn are neighbors right now. He's from Ocala. That's where he lives. Oh, yep, really? That's right. yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in High Springs. Oh yeah, up yeah. Near, yeah, up near Gainesville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Gainesville, we love going to Gainesville. Yeah, it's a nice uh, area up here. It's very horsey and very rural and uh, quiet. And uh, my my wife and I spend three or four months a year here. 
One of the prettiest towns in Florida is right up that way, Micanopy, and I'm sure you've been there. Oh, yeah. Uh, is, is one of the prettiest towns in Florida. People who come to Florida, we tell them they have to see Micanopy just because there is no, there's no better example of a live oak tree than Micanopy. Uh, yep, you got it. <laughs> it's a neat town. Well, Tim, well now that I would we did the Florida Tourism Bureau uh, ad. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, now that we did the Florida Tourism Bureau ad, I'll let uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll let Christy talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, I was just explaining, you know, one of the reasons why I was so impressed with your syrups and why I ended up getting a pair, well, I think I now have a couple pair, um, was because of my uh, student that has a very large feet, and I thought, you know, I need a syrup that's a little bit bigger to be able to accommodate in case there's an issue, but, you know, you need, they should be used regardless um, in so many different incidents, so I would love you to share your story and why you decided sure. to even invent them. Well, look, uh, I, you know, I'm a Western rider, um, and uh, my wife and I were out w- riding up in the mountains where we live in New Hampshire and with a friend in uh, trail riding, and I was riding, I do a lot of work with Mustangs. Um, I'm actually the National Humane Advocate on the BLM Advisory Board, and, um, but anyway, we were up in the mountains and we were coming to an area that had recently been logged off and it was, uh, you know, quite rough and very steep. And as my horse stepped over a log, it stepped on a piece of slash, you know, like a branch and, uh, it came up and poked him in the belly and he literally just broke in half and I got bucked off and got my foot got stuck in the stirrup and I got dragged and slammed and, you know, I got a uh, severe concussion, broke some ribs and I mean, I was a mess and, um, you know, knocked unconscious, and, you know, my poor wife and our friend Sally, you know, thought I was dead at first, and um, the consequence, I had to walk out about three, about two and a half, three miles to get to the nearest road after that, and um, the consequence of that is it really um, changed my confidence as a rider. I've always been a very confident rider. Um, Speed doesn't bother me. I was a professional motorcycle road racer in my uh, youth. you know, so, and, but now all of a sudden I was, you know, I, I almost gave up riding. Um, every time I got on a horse, I was, the vision of this wreck would go through my head. And, you know, I, I, I wanted a safety stirrup. I just, my wife and I talked about it. My wife is an extremely accomplished rider who's always ridden in peacock stirrups. She was an adventurer and, um, you know, she, she's always rides, you know, safe that way. Um, and so, you know, we started looking around, and really all we could find were uh, uh, there was one very expensive stirrup that detaches from your saddle that was out there. There were a couple of uh, very inexpensive, you know, $60, $70 plastic breakaway things. But essentially all we could find were stirrups that the safety feature was that they would break away from your saddle. And having a stirrup pop off your saddle, uh, to me, made about as much sense as having an airbag deploy because you slam the brakes on. You know, I, um, I actually, my wife bought me a pair of those expensive ones, and um, they would misfire a lot. I mean, I'd just throw the stirrup over the saddle to tighten my girth, and the stirrup would pop off. So, I, you know, I remarked to her one day, I said, you know, why doesn't somebody just make a peacock western stirrup? And she said to me, she goes, well, because they don't look western. And we started chatting about it and said, well, if you covered the side of it with leather, it would also would protect the peacock and as well as make it look like, a, you know, it wouldn't look any different than any other Western stirrup. So basically she told me to get off my duff and do something about it. And so I worked with my farrier friend, a guy named Robert Oakes, uh, and uh, he hammered out the first prototype designs out of steel. 
and we rode in them and got the shape the way we wanted and then uh, made molds and started casting them out of uh, aircraft aluminum. And um, then I started going to trade shows and uh, showing them to people and just trying to get the, you know, trying to get them out there. Um, one of the difficulties with uh, safety products with a lot of Western riders is, you know, Western riders are um, very steeped in tradition. Uh, they don't want anything different. You know, they, a lot of them don't want to wear helmets. If I didn't have a helmet on the day I had that wreck, uh, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Um, you know, I, I mean, I destroyed that helmet when I when I had that wreck, and, you know, that would have been my skull. And, um, you know, and accidents can happen so quick. We had a, a friend here at our place just a couple of weeks ago who is a, a very, very accomplished rider. Uh, she's well-known nationally. She was sitting on her horse in our yard, and the horse has some kind of neurological issue. And the horse literally, she asked the horse to back up a step, and the horse just collapsed, fell over on her, and she spent two days in the hospital with a concussion. Uh, she didn't have a helmet on. So, you know, it, it's the whole safety thing. Um, when I met um, uh, Christy and saw that CHA wanted the, their whole agenda about riding safe, I kind of knew it was going to be a pretty good marriage, but we could come to agreements on doing some things together, and uh, I'm really, really happy to be affiliated with them. Well, and Tim, it's been such a pleasure because, you know, you can take that leather piece, Glenn, um, Jennifer, yeah. and what he does is he'll put your own logo on it of your barn, or he'll put your initials on it, or he can put the CHA logo on it, or both, so you can customize them, and that's been really a fun thing, I think, too. Yeah, I took the, uh, I took the, I made a stamp up for the CHA, so a lot of the CHA folks will, will put the CHA logo at the bottom of the keep. We call that a keeper, the little leather piece. Um, you know, we lay with the basically, you know, covers over the peacock and helps keep your foot in there and, and keeps the peacock from getting knocked off by brush. We, we made enough changes in the actual stirrup design that, um, you know, we actually have a patent pendant on, on our design. Um, the original peacocks were uh, patented, initially patented back in the 1800s, 1880s. I mean, they've been around for a long, long time. And, oh, you know, they're that. just tried and true. You know, they just work, you know, non-mechanical. It doesn't matter whether it's raining or snowing or if it's muddy or, you know, there's nothing mechanical about them. And, um, I mean, they just work fantastic. Uh, we've got now, three the peak, special up. Is the, I'm sorry? Is the peak, you know, I was just going to ask you, is the peacock, is it the same as on an English stirrup? It's just the, you know, the, the little piece the same as on an English stirrup? Well, actually, it's a, ours is a little different um, because we use a, a, a much stronger rubber compound. It's called EPDM rubber. You know, one of the okay. problems with the English stirrup peacocks is they're made out of a type of rubber that's called bunto rubber, which deteriorates in sunlight. I mean, anybody... That's I, I was going to say, they don't last long. <laughs> no, last I had four daughters who yeah. were all horse crazy, and I used to buy the peacocks in, in, you know, is big bags of them because they'd go through them, and my girls actually started using um, those rubber bands, like those uh, fabric-covered rubber bands they used to hold their hair back, they started putting on because you could buy a bag of 100 of those at the local drugstore for like $9. But the Let's rubber that stop. I use... Hold on, hold on, hold on, Tim. Let's yeah. just stop right there a second. You had four yeah. daughters? Yeah, oh. I did. And you're still sane? <laughs> just and they were all into horses? <laughs> they were all into horses. That's a lot of estrogen. <laughs> yeah, if you, and actually, 
the, you know, I, in fact, I refer to my house as Estrogen Central. And uh, <laughs> I was the only, the, the only other male in the house was a dog, and he had been neutered, so I walked carefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking the, at uh, these, too. I'm looking at the pictures of these on the website, and they're they're good looking. They're not. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say it. You don't have to. They're not girly at all. They're kind of like manly stirrups. You know, it's not something that looks funny at all. How do they weigh? Do they weigh? Uh, they're aluminum, so they probably weigh less than other stirrups. Well, they they they, they they're actually they're, they've got a little bit of weight to them. Um, the weight is actually um, an advantage in a lot of situations. One is if you're if you have a, a wreck where your horse falls down, a, a lot of these lighter weight stirrups will fold up and can actually trap your foot. They can actually mm-hmm. collapse around your foot. These are made of aircraft quality aluminum. We heat treat them, which doubles their strength. Um, and the Marine Corps Special Operations Group, this is their official stirrup. The Marine Corps guys that get shipped over to Afghanistan, uh, the special ops guys, they get a pair of these stirrups as their standard issue because a lot of times when they're over there, they're riding, um, you know, local horses and stuff like that when they go up in the mountains. And the Marine Corps tested uh, every stirrup they get their hands on, and the only stirrup that passed the strength test and everything else was our stirrup. Um, huh. They're not as light as uh, some stirrups are, but, like, I had brass bells on my Visalia saddle, and they actually weigh less than the brass stirrup, my brass bell stirrups. Um but the, 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 there is a little bit of weight to them, and one of the advantages of the weight is if your foot should come out of the stirrup, a lot of these lightweight stirrups, if you're, like, trotting or carrying along, the stirrups flop around like a chicken that's had its head cut off. With a little oh, bit I of weight that. Hang there. Yes, well, they, <laughs> you're, they, hang, they hang there so that your foot can find them easy without looking down. Because we all know that when you look down at the ground, the next thing is, you know, what the next possibility is you ending up on the ground because you tend to go where you look. Every jumper knows that. <laughs> Gosh, Tim, do you want to be a riding instructor? You can come get certified. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I we were talking about this the other day with my wife, and my wife is a wonderful instructor. And my problem is, is I try to tell people too much at one time. And um, I, I used to teach, and um, I do, used to do some clinicing, and, and you know, I used to, my wife and I would teach some clinics and stuff. And, and I mean, I'm okay instructor, but um, I tend to give people a flood of information and they walk away scratching their heads. So <laughs> I'm not the best teacher in the world because of that, you know. I try to fix every little thing that I see wrong. You know. Well, Tim, I just so appreciate. <laughs> yeah, there oh. you go. The four girl syndrome causes that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's my... Um, my oldest daughter, Jessie, if you go to my website, you'll see in the thing in there called Jessie's Gift. Um, and my oldest daughter, Jessie, passed away 10 years ago. And Jessie was 30 when she died. She was a, a veterinary tech and was going to, you know, hopefully to be a vet at some point. And um, she was a rescued anything and everything that moved. Um, she rescued horses from, I mean, from the time she was tiny, we, we used to help with the Chincoteague Roundup. We did that for 12 years. Um, oh, I would love to do and, that. Oh, we had a ball with it. And, uh, but she would rescue anything and everything she could get her hands on. Barn, like, you know, we'd uncovering hay, we'd find a rat's nest, and she would then take and bottle feed the baby rats. I mean, it, she had pet possums and raccoons, and uh, it was like Ellie Mae Clampett, you know. And... Um, so one of the things that we do um, is that if, if somebody buy when if people buy a pair of stirrups, 
if they want to donate uh, part of that purchase to uh, Horse Rescue. We have some horse rescues listed on our site, and all people have to do is just say, please send $10 to there. And it doesn't cost the person any extra money. Uh, we It comes out of our money, and, and we just do it in, the, in Jesse's memory, and so we call that Jesse's gift. Um, and, and likewise, I do uh, something similar with CHA members, as Christy and I worked out, is um, whenever somebody who is affiliated with CHA buys a pair of syrups from us, um, we donate $10 to the CHA, so they help to support their organization. And then we also give them an extra pair of peacocks, uh, so they get a free pair of peacocks as well. So, um, you know, I really believe that when you, you know, trying to kind of give things away and, um, you know, you there's an old expression of you can't keep something good unless you give some of it away, and we believe in that pretty strongly. Well, Tim, I so appreciate having you come on today and talk about um, these free ride Western safety syrups because I'm a believer, and I know you came to our convention last year when we were in Buffalo, New York, and I think you're planning on coming to the one in Lexington coming up this October. Yep. And it's just um, that's a great way for people to see them because what we do, Glenn and Jennifer, is we actually put the stirrups on the school horses that are being provided for folks to then go ride in them. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding when you ride in something and you get to feel it and say, ah, oh, this is all right. So I'm sure we can do something like that again this year, Tim. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, and they're, and, and they, we put a really, really comfortable pad on the bottom. Uh, we've had a lot of people talk about, especially people with uh, knee problems and stuff, and the stirrups hang at a little bit of an angle because of the way that we off, have to offset them a little bit because of one side is wide open. Um, you know, it's got the peacock in it, but it's an open. And, and a lot of people have uh, remarked about um, how much easier it is on their knees and how comfortable the stirrups themselves are. And they, they're pleasantly surprised by it, which is, and it's a little, just a little side benefit of, of riding safe. So ride with good shoes, something that'll slip off your feet, safety stirrups, and a helmet. And, uh, you know, like every ride, like every, I, I have a little expression, every stride, every ride. And uh, I do not get on a horse without those three elements. Do you see why we sucked him in, Glenn and Jennifer? Yes, we I love see. Him. I see that. <laughs> and there are, and they are, uh, you know, they're they're good looking syrups. It's not, you know, it's not anything that the traditionalist would be embarrassed about. So uh, you're not going to have a problem there. And you can find them at WesternSafetyStirrups.com. That's WesternSafetyStirrups.com. Thank you, Tim, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you folks. And uh, now that I know where you guys are on the – Christy sent me a link, and uh, we'll be listening to your show on a regular basis. I can promise you that. Um, well, we're thank very you, I'm glad to we know you're a neighbor, that too. too. <laughs> yeah, we're right down the street, down here in warm, sunny yeah. Florida. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> thanks, Tim. Thanks, Bye. Thanks, Christy. Bye-bye. Welcome, Tim. Bye. Four girls all into horses. You have to have a good job. It's the first thing I thought of. You've got to have a good job. And his wife. So that's five girls all into horses. You really have to have a good job to support that habit. Yeah, I don't know if the syrups are full-time or if it's a part-time gig. He might have multiple forms of income to keep it all together. Oh, he would have to. You would have to. <laughs> He'd have to sell a lot of Western Safety syrups to support four girls. And Jennifer is trying to get a hold of our next guest, by the way, Christy, but uh, getting an answering machine. So uh, she's going to keep trying there and seeing if she can get a hold of him. 
So you know why why while she's trying to get him, why don't we uh, why don't we play our song now, and we'll see if Jennifer can get a hold of Jody uh, Taylor from Alito, Alito Texas. Uh, while she's trying to do that, we can all take a listen to "Let's Ride" by Jared Rogerson. As I said, he's the one that works for the uh, Wildlife Commission and spends a lot of his time riding. So most of his songs, and he was a he was a uh, bronc rider for a long time as well. So most of his songs are about writing and about relationships that involve writing. So here is Jared Rogerson with one of his called Let's Ride. So you want a guy who won't try to move too fast. Oh girl, it'd be a shame to take this slow I've got an extra saddle and I know that you can handle The stallion waiting right down the road We can run above us and crash like thunder That's the lightning flashing in our eyes I think you know the spell you got me under Let's ride We can ride to the head of the camp from the desert bottom down below To the aspen and the sage To the pine trees in the shade We're high Baby, let's ride I suppose I could be entertained Just sitting here watching you Watching them just try to take you home With all these guys surrounding you Like flies you ought to swat a few If you want to be alone, let's go We can run above us and crash like thunder That's the light that's flashing in our eyes I think you know the spell you got me under Let's ride Head of the canyon from the desert blossom down below To the aspen and the sage To the pine trees in the shade We're high Takes your breath away If you're caught up with emotion That you can't explain away You can kiss me on the cheek And I will hold your hand If it leads to something more I will understand Let's run above hoods And crash like thunder Fast as lightning flashing in our eyes I think you know the spell you got me under Let's ride We can ride to the head of the canyon From the desert blossom down below Through the aspen and the sage To the pine trees in the shade We're pine Baby Let's ride 
Well, that was Jared Rogerson, and let's ride. You can find all of Jared's music at jaredrogerson.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on a special training day with the Certified Horsemanship Association with my friend Christy on the line here. And Christy, our next guest is ready if you want to introduce Jody. Oh, that's wonderful. Hi, Jody Taylor. This is Christy, and I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Um, I met Jody for the first time at our international conference in Buffalo, New York in October because he is the proud owner of Brady Who, who happened to be our School Horse of the Year winner. And uh, the School Horse of the Year is immortalized every year into a model horse made by Peter Stone. So it was so wonderful to meet Jody and to get to know more about Brady Who, who was a fabulous horse. Um, Jody has done it all, and it was great. I asked him for a picture today, Glenn, for the show to go ahead and put on our website, and he sent me one of himself in a cowboy hat with the horse kind of wrapped around in like a natural horsemanship type look to it, right, and that kind of feel. And then the very next shot he sends me, he's in full-blown hunter attire, jumping, you know, 3-6, and he's just looking great. So he does it all. Jody um, is a master instructor with us. He's uh, teaches people that do three-day eventing. Um, he also teaches people that do a lot of the Western disciplines as well. So he's a very well-rounded guy, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Christy, and uh, thank you, Glenn, for having me on. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. And, uh, yes, we do We do quite a plethora of uh, writing. We do a lot of Western, a lot of English, and we specialize in uh, – three-day eventing, like you uh, mentioned. Uh, I believe, Glenn, they just got through with a show there at, uh, I believe it was Rocking Horse there in Ocala. Yep, that's right. We just had a show here at the Florida Horse Park, and there's another one coming up, I think, this weekend or next weekend. We're we're in the heart of show season here in Florida. Exactly, and I think we had a huge uh, Texas represent, uh, a lot of representatives from Texas there, Well, we are so excited. I'll tell you, we were looking at your pictures yesterday on your website, Jody, and we just yes. love it. Um, so if anybody is in the Alito area and wants to look Jody up, I'll just go ahead and do a plug right now for your website. It's Star T Ranch, T as in Taylor, TX for Texas.net, so Star T Ranch, TX.net. We were loving the photos. Um, it was it was fun to see them all. Okay, well, good. It's good. And I do, I like, you know, I ride uh, Western and English both, and I give both uh, Western and English riding lessons. Um, I feel comfortable in either one. <clears throat> and would you agree, Jody, that one of the scariest things as a riding instructor is teaching that very first canter or lope? Exactly, it is. Especially if you have a horse with a lot of suspension. Like uh, Brady Who, for example, he has uh, tons of suspension. And, and normally we do not use him to give, uh, you know, first canter lessons. We have a couple other horses that we use to do that. So he's going to be one of the ones we use for uh, riders that have been cantering for some time. Absolutely. I'll tell you, I always think, oh, this is the first canter day. Here we go. And you know what? It's a big deal when you go to get certified at a CHA clinic. That that first canter lesson that people teach, 
you know, so many people want to teach first canter and have the folks um, continue around the arena on the bend. They can barely go straight, let alone do the corner. You know, I think, to me, first canter survival, you set up a cone in one corner of the arena, you set up a cone in the other, you ask them to pick up sitting trot for maybe two steps, and then they pick up canter. I don't care what lead, we're going straight. And then at the end, you halt, and you never go around the corner. And I go, yay, we've cantered for the first time. Lesson over. Fabulous. <laughs> exactly. And it's, and it's funny that you say that because I just I gave a lesson yesterday afternoon one of her first canters, and probably it was just, it was a huge day for her to get that under her belt, and just like you said, just a little bit of canter, and that's all it was. But it was a huge step for her. They have a whole lot of fear, don't they, about it, and it's such a different movement than the trot, and we spend so many hours walking and trotting before we ever canter, unless we do an unexpected canter. That is a very different movement. Christy, isn't that most of the time, though, our first canners are the unexpected canners, and it doesn't go well. So then when we actually have to do one on purpose, it's uh, terrifying. Yes, I would agree. I think that 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 does happen quite a bit. So, Jody, do you want to kind of guide us through um, the beats and the footfall of canner and some of the natural aids to pick it up and kind of help our listeners that might be just learning how to do it, and we'll kind of progress from there? Oh, you bet. Uh the uh, the canter is a it's it's a three beat gate with suspension, and and the beats are the number of uh, times uh, you hear the hoofs hit the ground within a stride. Now, being that it's a three beat gate and there's four four uh, hooves on a horse, that means that somewhere in there, two two hooves are hitting the ground at the same time. So what happens? When the footfalls of a canter come along, if uh, the horse takes off with their right rear, and that's the one they push with, then the next two that hit the ground are going to be the left rear and the right front, then the left front. And if the horse takes off in this particular manner, that means the horse would be on the left lead. If the horse pushes off with the left rear, then the next two hooves that hit the ground would be the right rear and the left front. Then last would be the right front, which would mean that the horse would be on the left lead. And like you were talking about earlier, it doesn't matter when they first start cantering what lead the horse is on. You just want to stay in the middle. That's the most important thing at the beginning. Stay in the middle. And I know we talk a lot about natural aids, so do you want to kind of go over some of those, Jody, and how you teach based on the natural aids for someone to pick up the canner for the first time? Yes, I sure will. It, uh, you know, and one of the problems, probably 55% of our students are under 12 years old. So you're, you're talking to kids that are under 12 years old, and just keeping the language simple helps out a lot. I mean, we we can go into, you know, diagonal aids, lateral aids, and all that. But one of the first things that I I, I teach, like you said, the natural aids, we use a voice command. It's, uh, and, and for the canter, we use a kiss. And when you kiss to our uh, lesson horses, they'll, they go right into the canter. 
So that's one of the first things we, we teach them as far as aids go. Then we move on to an outside leg and, and more on weight position, and then we'll move on into diagonal uh, aids or lateral aids whenever you start uh, wanting to distinguish what lead they need to go into. And I think that's so huge. So many people focus on wrong lead, wrong lead, wrong lead. And really, you know, unless you're going to be horse showing um, or, and also on the trail, you, of course, it's nice to switch your lead out if you do a lot of cantering because you can soar the horse if you're always on the same lead all the time. But, you know, when you're first starting to learn, we don't care what lead you're on. We just want you just to experience that feel. And that's why that whole straight line idea, if you have a really long arena, is a great idea. And I like Jody and this is something kind of fun. Like, you know how we have our traditional dressage letters, you know, A and C kind of at the, cor- the ends? If you have yes. somebody start, let's say, at the letter A and point towards C, and you don't even say which leg to put back, you just do your kiss, right? Do your kiss, maybe exactly, push your exactly. hips like a swing. Whatever lead yes. they pick up, now let's feel our hip. Which hip is going forward first? Oh, guess what? You're probably on the same lead that your hip is going forward. So if your right hip's forward, you're on the right lead. If your left hip forward, you're on the left. And then you know which horse, horse is like their right leads and left leads too with that exercise. It's kind of a fun one. Exactly. And when they learn that way, they never have to bend over the front of the horse and look at the lead and hamper what the horse is trying to do at the time. They learn to feel the lead and then they can go on from there. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think one of the roughest things I've ever ridden is not necessarily counter canter, because of course as we get more advanced, right, we want to make the horse canter on the wrong lead on purpose with proper bend, the direction of the lead of which we're taking. However, is that cross firing oh, that is painful when they're correct in front and wrong in back. What do you think of that, Jody? Yes, that that can be pretty rough. And I and I think that's pretty noticeable. And you can and you can ask most of them what that canter felt like, and if they're cross-firing, they'll be able to tell you exactly, you know, that that was, it was not feeling right, especially if they've uh, cantered a couple times at this point. But, yes, that is a very rough, uh, rough ride, especially for a beginner rider. So what are some exercises that you all do there in Alito, Texas, at your barn um, for the canter and for controlling that gate? Well, one of the one of the first things that I teach, even when I'm doing the walk and the trot uh, with the students that I have or any students, the, uh, the one of the first things I teach them, and I, I just I, what I do is I call it the uh, the emergency break, and I believe uh, I believe it's called the pulley rain or something like that, and other, but I, I just always use the emergency break, and I, that's just pulling one rein around and getting the horse to stop. And most of the time, I will uh, teach them to do that if they're if they're frightened or afraid or something like that. So that's one of the first things, and I'll teach them that right off the bat at the at the walk and the trot. So when they get up to the canter and things start getting maybe a little bit out of control, that they can they can use that. And by that time, they've already practiced that enough that uh, they know how to initiate that quite uh, uh, quite quickly. And Jody, some that of the other good idea. You've got to have woe before you have go. Yes. You have to. Exactly. You've got to know how to stop. Yeah, I love that. I love that you teach pulley rain prior to getting into a bunch of the canner stuff. Exactly. And, and you know, that's one of one of the worst things that happen. They can get into the canner, they stiffen their legs up. 
squeeze a little bit and the, and the horse gets to moving too fast for them and they don't know how to bring the horse to a proper stop. Uh, some of the other things that we do, uh, you can uh, you can circle the horse. You can do a spiraling circle. Which a spiraling circle is where that you make the circle smaller and larger depending on you know how the horse is traveling. Uh, a lot of walk to canter transitions or canter to walk transitions. Uh, same with the trot. There are a lot of transitions back and forth. Um, and I do a lot of this, a lot of this, especially when they're first starting out, I'll do it when they're on a lunge line. That way they don't have to worry about the direction of the horse or anything like that. All they're worried about is the canter. And that's another thing that we do to simplify it so that they can get the feel of the canter and then move on from there. Absolutely. And do you, um, when you start teaching like your simple changes of lead where you actually do want the horse to switch from one to the other, what are some of the different techniques that you use to get that accomplished? Well, some some of that will go back to those transitions. A, a simple lead change, for instance, can be coming across the diagonal. You uh, transition the horse down into the trot and then transition them back up into the canter on the opposite lead. Uh, you can do that from the walk also, but I always start them out. The trot's the one that I use. It's a little bit simpler than uh, doing a transition from the walk to the canter. And I'll um, tell you, when you have a horse that's balanced on both sides and actually does know how to pick up both leads and you can kind of control that, boy, that's a nice feeling. Yes, and especially especially when the, you know they, for instance, the, the you know the horse that I ride very very uh, sensitive, just barely takes barely a nudge, and, and and she she picks up whatever lead I ask. Now sometimes the lesson horses get a little bit dull from all the bumping around, but yes, it is nice when they're when they're both balanced. And when I work them on the lunge line, I try to work them in both directions. That way, it keeps them uh, keeps them good on both sides. And Jody, what do you recommend? If I'm trotting along and I want to pick up canter, do I pick that up from a sitting trot, a posting trot, a two-point trot where I'm up in my stirrups, or does it not really matter? Oh, it does. You want to make sure that your seat's in the saddle, whether you're doing a rising trot or just a sitting trot. When you would ask for the transition into the canter from a trot, you would let you would do it when you sit, ask for the horse to move forward in the canter and use your aids and uh, ask the horse to canter. And then you could also do that from the sitting trot. You would not Very ask much. that in a rising position. And do you ever do anything with your um, people that you're teaching as far as no stirrup work, uh, one stirrup work? Do you ever do that at the canter? Oh, yes. All the time. You, you know, you're mean, one of, Jody. One of <laughs> you the, torture <laughs> your students. <laughs> uh, let me, well, let me tell you, we, we, have, we have bareback pads. Those are those are uh, we use those quite often, and and that's another good way to get them started in the canter because there there's no, nothing to tense up against. For instance, you said stirrups. That's one of the things they'll take their toes, push on the stirrups, and then that's when every they their upper body gets tense. But with the bareback pad or the, just the simple removal of the stirrups on the saddle. 
they they have nothing to push against. They relax in the saddle, and then everything comes natural from there. Very, Very true. Joey, I agree with that. I have a comment here. I, it's been a long time since you learned to canter for the first time, Jody. And what really happens is you don't relax. You get exhausted after about three steps, and then you can't grip anymore. <laughs> That's why you go from one quarter to the other, Jen. That's it. Whoa, done. <laughs> yep. Exhaustion when sets in fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when you're coming about, uh, you know, a foot and a half out of the out of the tack there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And would you so, say, Jody, do you teach any difference with your English riders and Western riders when you do canter versus the lope? Um, or because those things are the same, right? One's just a little bit slower than the other, but the footfalls are the same, all that. But do you teach any different or do you teach the same? No, I, I, we, we teach the same. The, there's nothing different with the English versus Western. Uh, the only thing, when the Things change between English and Western is when you get up more specialized. Anything basic, it should all be basically the same. Now, there are a couple differences between English and, and Western, but they're very minimal, and, and most everything that we go through is going to be the same, whether you're an English saddle or a Western saddle or, or the one horse versus the other. I would agree. I think the basics are the basics. We sit in the middle. I get asked all the time, Jody. So what discipline do you teach? And I said, I teach sit in the middle and stay on. That's what I teach. <laughs> I, couldn't put it, I couldn't put it any better. I mean, that's it. But you're absolutely right. Then you get, of course, up into the specialty stuff, and you start to do a whole lot of differences. But, yeah, basics are basics. Sit in the middle and, you know, hopefully stay in the upright. And I also loved when you said, and Tim did the same thing um, with our, our Western Safety Syrup guy that was on earlier. You do absolutely go where you look. So when people start looking for their lead, it's like, really? What are you doing? You need to feel that lead. You know, try as hard as you can. But I don't know about you, Jody, but I was taught with the look for the diagonal and you're posting at the trot and the look for the lead. And, boy, it's a hard habit to break. Yes. I mean, you know, we, we – and and at the shows we see that now we we teach it different here but you go to the shows and they'll be looking at the lead and I mean the horse they're they're trying to figure out why the horse is uh, getting the incorrect lead and it's just it's all because of weight placement. Well, Jody, uh, we appreciate you joining us here this morning. Uh, again, we'll put we'll post a link to your website address at startranchtx.net which is a little hard to remember. We understand that. So we'll post a link to that in our show notes and also on our Horses in the Morning Facebook page as well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to hear a guy Texas accent in eventing, <laughs> by the way. There, there you go. Okay, I appreciate it, Glenn. Thank you, Christy. All right, thank you, Jody. You're welcome. Bye, Jody. Bye, Christy. Well, we're going to... We're going to take a break from all this cantering talk for just a minute or two. We're going to hear about a company called Revitavet, and we're coming back with an old friend of the Horse Radio Network, Julie Goodnight's going to be on. I have something I have to ask her at the beginning of the conversation before we get into the serious stuff, okay? So uh, we'll do all that. We'll do all that in about a minute and a half here. We would like to welcome Revitavet as a sponsor of the training episode brought to you by the CHA. 
Revitavet is the number one name in your horse's preventative maintenance and rehab using state-of-the-art infrared therapy. Revitavet's IR2 does many things to help your horses, including promoting healing by more than 50%, reducing inflammation and relieving pain, stimulating acupressure points, and raising performance levels without medication. All of that leads to a healthier, happier horse and less medical bills, and that is something that we all look for. And now they have a free RevitaVet app that you can use in conjunction with the RevitaVet IR2 to make your life easier, enabling you to select and customize therapies for some of the 76 most common injuries or conditions, including abscesses to wounds and everything in between. Riders that are using RevitaVet IR2 include eventers Philip Dutton, Buck Davidson, Gina Miles, barrel racer Sherry Servey, and our own shooting champion, Tammy Serrant. Learn more about infrared light therapy and the IR2 at their website at revitavet.com. That's R-E-V-I-T-A-V-E-T dot com. Your horse will thank you for it. Well, good morning, everybody. We are here on Horses in the Morning. I am with Christy from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Coach Jen is in the producer chair. We're brought to you today by Free Ride Western Safety Stirrups. Our next guest coming up is an old friend of the Horse Radio Network. She's probably been with us for as long as the Horse Radio Network's been around, and I know you can say the same thing for the Certified Horsemanship Association. Yes, she has. She started off as our um, program director. She's a master certified instructor with us and a clinician, which means she trains the trainer, and she's also a dear friend. Julie, good night. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Gosh, you guys make me sound pretty old, I have to say. (laughs) I was thinking that as we were saying that. (laughs) But it's true, I am. (laughs) You're just joining me, Julie. (laughs) That's funny. Well, Julie, it's so good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yes, it has been a while. I guess you, you've uh, gotten so popular, you're going for bigger fish than me these days. Huh? <laughs> not not true at all. I have seen some pictures of you recently out in the slopes, though. You're, you're doing some serious skiing this year. Yeah, we are having an awesome ski season this year, and uh, I've been making the most of it. So we had uh, 10 feet of snow in 10 days last week, and we Ooh. went uh, snowcat skiing on the 10th day, um, and it was truly epic. And for those that don't know, Julie's husband, you, he runs the ski slope, right? Is that how it Yeah, works? he does. He's the CEO of the ski resort, our local uh, ski resort, so it's nearby, and it's fun, and I try to get as much skiing in when I can um, when I'm not traveling, so... I'm uh, winding that down, though. I'm looking at the end of my ski season because my travel uh, season is fixing the gear up. Well, let's give them a plug. What's the name of this resort? It's Monarch Mountain, and uh, you can see it online at SkiMonarch.com. Uh, SkiMonarch.com. Very good. Well, and, you know, uh, you know, all that great skiing and all that great snow, but I, I know that uh, you'll probably be heading south to a clinic soon. So uh, back to the warm. Yeah, well, I hope, you know, going south isn't a guarantee of warm these days. That's true. <laughs> I'm headed, uh, headed to Alabama in a couple of weeks for the um, horse fair there, Alabama Horse Fair in Montgomery. Um, that's on March 1st. So I'm hoping they've had some time to warm up significantly by then. Didn't you used to do the hunter-jumper circuit here in Florida? 
Ocala and, and Wellington? I did. I, I actually so. grew up in Florida. I grew up in Orlando. Most of my family still lives there. And uh, although my father was a tried and true Western kind of guy, I I got interested in in riding hunters, and he he went along. And so I spent my whole youth career showing on the hunter jumper circuit. I thought so. I thought that's how it started. Yeah. yeah. All right, Chrissy, I'm done hogging the guest now. I'm done. Oh, that's fine, Glenn. <laughs> you can talk to the guest anytime you'd like. <laughs> Hi, Julie. How are you today? I am I'm so well, excited thanks, to have Chrissy. you on today. Yeah, yeah I was, well, thanks I was, for um, asking me. I, I would say sharing earlier the story when Rich and I were standing on the sidelines watching my husband go by on the outside of everyone in your clinic while he was cantering along on shift. <laughs> yeah. I thought well, that was you know. a good segue. <laughs> you you got to learn somehow. Sometimes you learn by making mistakes. But I'll tell you, my horse loves him way better than me, Julie, and he'll attest to that because my horse is like, I don't have to go on the bit. I don't have to pick up the right lead. I don't have to do anything but stick my nose out and go fast. I like John way better than you. <laughs> yeah, you know, we see that a lot in our school horses, that you get those, those great beginner horses that they won't tolerate an advanced rider at all, but they'll, they'll take care of a beginner rider because they know the beginner rider's not going to ask much of them. That's right. <laughs> smart. So you probably um, heard a little bit of earlier that Jody and we were going into some of the beats and the footfall of canter and just kind of how to survive that first canter experience where you go from one cone to another and don't even make a turn and you say, yay, we're good. But, you know, mm-hmm. as you start to get better at the canter, there's just a ton of different types of exercises and things that you can do with your horse, whether you're an arena rider, a trail rider, or a combination. And I would love to hear from all of your experiences with all the people that you work with. What are some of your great exercises that you have that you can explain to folks on the radio today? Well, you know, I unlike Jody, I primarily teach adults, um, and well, pretty much exclusively adults. And uh, I don't rule out children. That's just who comes is adults, and they're mostly middle-aged. Um, I, or, uh, ten years ago, I might have referred to them as older, but now that I'm in that age category, <laughs> I refer to them as middle age. Uh, so um, it, it's a little bit different, and the main factor being that confidence and fear is is so hugely present, particularly when you start working at the canter, and 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 with good reason, you know it's. It's the gate at which things are most likely to go wrong, and it's you know you the the canter has the most impulsion, and so you that power is can feel a little bit scary. It feels faster, and um, so there's a lot of reasons why people might not have a lot of confidence. And um, one thing that I, I I guess the older I get, the more um, empathy I develop for the horses. And so really work hard to try to protect the horses and that whole deal because um, if you if you watch a horse go into the canter, um, as, the first thing he'll do is kind of lift his front end and then he launches himself forward off his hind end. Well, when he launches forward, his head dives down. And what happens so often with a rider lacking confidence is as soon as they feel that horse lifting up, they they subconsciously tense on the reins, and so then when the horse launches himself forward, 
he dives down into the bit and he hits himself in the bit. And it's a very difficult situation for the horse because he was doing what he asked to do and then he got punished for it. So mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it, it can really uh, erode your the the trust that the horse has in you, and then you don't want to canter anymore. So then you get in this, and then he thinks, well, she she was cueing to canter, but she, apparently she didn't want to canter. So you get this level of confusion. So once I get people, you know, at first I just like Jody was talking about, you know, your first idea, like you just mentioned, is just to survive those first few strides and take a deep breath and say, okay, I can do this, and then. Once we've passed that, I my go-to fallback exercise is trot to canter to trot to canter to trot to canter transitions. And we'll go, you know, six or seven times around the arena, and I'll tell people to canter about halfway around and then come back to a trot, get your horse gathered up, collected up, riding a steady trot, and then re-cue him to canter. And this it's a simple transi- transition exercise, but what you'll see happen is with each with each subsequent cue to canter, the horse responds better and better and better as he's learning your particular style of cueing. And um, so I we used to refer to this as dialing your horse in, but of course kids today would have no idea what that means, but that kind of uh, came from the old-fashioned radios that you had to actually dial in, so you turn a little bit to the right until it gets fuzzy, and you turn a, bit, a little bit to the left, and... So viewing those trot-to-canter, trot-to-canter transitions is a way to dial your horse into your cue so you're getting good responsiveness. Way to get a radio reference in on the show, Julie. Just, yeah, yeah, I just I like you know, trying to yeah. be cooperative. Good job, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Always cooperative. <laughs> John, I think you're absolutely right about that because what you said, and it really resonated with me, Julie, is that that particular person's style of cueing. We can teach all day long. This is the natural aids. This is the order of cueing. This is how you do it. But some of us have hot seats. Some of us have slow seats. Some of us are much more aggressive in our aids. Some of us are much more laid back in our aids. So you're absolutely right. That was, that was really resonated with me. Sure. And, that, you know, no two riders can cue the horse exactly the same. We, we try to teach them to use a specific cue but it's not going to be exactly the same as the other rider did. So the horse has to, it's the horse's job to figure that out. And he won't figure it out the first time. He has to have uh, quite a few transitions to to really fully understand the way you are going to cue him. So I'm going to ask you now questions about a couple of things that come up sometimes with problems and see what solution you have. So if I am um, a rider that has been riding for a little while, and let's say that I do want to start horse showing or I want to make sure that my horse is balanced on both sides and has both leads, and you have a horse that just really has an issue with one lead and you've figured out medically it's nothing to do with anything like that, maybe you've even gone to a saddle fitter and figured out it's nothing like that, are there some exercises that will help that horse be more confident in that lead that they might not like as much? And, you know, there, of course, obviously, you always have to rule out physical problems first, but there are a lot of um, other problems not relating to any physical issue that can cause a horse to be one-leaded. The simplest is that they're just like humans. They favor one side. And um, so once we've ruled out the physical issues, then we then we have to look at training and, and try to understand uh, what went wrong in the horse's training. Um, 
to I, I have a progression of exercises that I would would go to on a one leaded horse and um I would say and I, I do these kinds of clinics at horse expos all the time and I'll ask for, you know, horses that have problems with their leads. And you know, rarely we get past the first or second exercise because I would say the majority of the time that a horse isn't taking the correct lead, it's it's because of inadequate cueing or the, the rider is just not being um, articulate enough in her cueing for the horse to, to understand. And so one of the first things I like to do is work on haunches in. And that is... Because uh, when you ask the horse for the right lead, for instance, he pushes off at the left hind lead uh, leg. Sorry. And so when you ask the horse to come haunches in, and let's say you're going to the right, so you bring his haunches to the right, that brings that left hind leg in well underneath his belly so that if you cue him from that position, he's already standing on that left lead, on that left leg, so he's going to push off with that leg. So if the haunches are to the right, the horse is going to push off into the right lead. If the haunches are to the left, the horse is going to push off into the left lead. So not even worrying about the canter, we'll go back to the walk and see if you can get your horse to just step his haunches to the side. So he'll he'll be going straight ahead, but with his hips curved to the right. And uh, so we'll work to the right and left. And if if it's the right lead my horse won't take, I'm going to work haunches in to the right about twice as much as I would work it to the left. But I'm always going to work it both ways, and um, and then we'll go we'll work at the trot haunches in, and then from there you're going to cue for the canter from the haunches in position, and that will almost all that will fix probably ninety percent of all lead problems. I think that's wonderful. People do not work enough on moving the body parts of the horse, like haunch in and shoulder in and all the other different things, and that just makes so much logical sense. Yeah. So now if we're working, I know you have a bunch of different exercises for folks that have gotten to the point now with their horse where we can canter, we feel comfortable, we know our leads, now we want to switch them. So we want to do some simple change exercises and maybe even get to the point where we might do that fabulous thing called the flying lead change. And I don't know about you, Julie, but I still remember, and this has been a while for me now too, you guys, it seems to be the laugh about age day, so we could all do that. But I still remember my very first time doing a flying lead change, and I just started giggling. I mean, I was having so much fun. So if we could talk a little bit about those things, I think that would be great too. Well, of course, the flying lead change is sort of the ultimate um, uh, communication between you and your horse. All horses know how to do flying lead changes. That's not the hard part. The hard part is cueing them to do it when you want them to, and that's really hard. And some horses are better at it than others. Some horses are natural lead changers and it comes easy to them. Other horses, you know, have to work really hard to learn it. But, the, you know, it's kind of the classic joke and we uh, riding instructors talk about a lot as you get a new student in. Or for me, I'm at a clinic and I always start the clinic by asking everybody what they want to work on or what they would hope to accomplish during this clinic. And uh, there's always somebody that says flying lead changes. And we always laugh just because um, there are so many skills that precede 
applying lead changes. And so the first thing, well, maybe not the first thing, but before you even think about doing applying lead changes, there's probably about 20 difficult skills that you have to master. For instance, um, your departures have to be 100% on the correct lead. You have to have good departures from the walk and from the halt. And your horse has to be nailing that lead every single time. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I want to be able to work on haunches in, um, to work on leg yielding or two tracking in both directions. Um, the horse should be working um, in collected gates at the walk, trot, and canter. Um, not all the time, but he, you should have the ability to collect that horse up. So um, if I see all those skills are in place, then maybe it's possible to start thinking about flying lead changes. And I like to teach um, riders to do the flying lead change from the simple change of lead, which, <clears throat> excuse me, you were talking about earlier. So in the simple change of lead, the horse breaks down to the trot or walk, and then you re-cue him to counter on the new lead. And so you might do as many as a 1,000 simple changes of lead before you're ready for the flying lead change. And what the simple, you know, the first time you do a simple lead change, your horse may have trotted five, six, or even eight strides before you're able to kind of bring them together, reposition them, and re-cue them for the new lead. And then maybe after you've done 50 or 100 of those, you're getting down to three or four steps of trot. <coughs> well, sorry, I got a, cold, a little cold going on here. But um, then gradually and over time and repetition, when you do that simple change of lead, you're doing um, zero steps of trot. So the horse is basically just stopping and then switching into the new lead. And that's when you're ready to start working on the flying lead change. And the cue for the flying lead change is the same as it is for the um, simple lead change, except for that you don't stop the horse or you don't break him down. You keep him in the canter. And uh, so so that's the progression. Having the ability to control the horse's whole body to be able to switch his haunches from side to side um, and all of that is is really important prerequisite to the flying lead change. Yes, and I loved how you mentioned all of those different steps because you're correct about that. So many people think, well, now that I know how to canter and simple, you know, a couple of times, then the very next step is flying. And it's like, oh, no, there's so many more steps involved on moving that horse's body and being able to get less and less drives of trot and or walk in between. So I think that yeah. that's... Absolutely key. So I'll and you know, you, boy, if, you... in a excuse me, in a perfect world, people would be able to learn how to do a lead change on a horse that was already trained to do it. Yes. Um, but as we know, this is not a perfect world, and that and not very many people have that luxury. So, in many instances, we've done several episodes of the TV show on flying lead changes, and in in most instances the person doesn't know how to do the meter. And so that's a difficult situation because the horse has got no idea. The person's really got no idea and you're, um, and you're asking them to do something extremely difficult. So if you, if you have the option of, let's say, going and taking a lesson on a finished rein or, 
or a finished um, jumper or something, and you could learn how to do it on a horse that knew the cue, then you'd be a lot better off trying to teach your horse how to do it. I would work, Julie, all day long at a local hunter-jumper barn teaching beginners to walk and trot and go over cross rails for free so that I could have my one hour on the Grand Prix schoolmaster so that I could do flying changes and then eventually and changes it, right? every three. It was absolutely worth it, without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. It's a difficult situation in the horse business for horse trainers, up-and-coming horse trainers. You can have a guy, let's say a young guy that's really talented and a good hand with horses and he's starting a lot of colts and he's um, maybe working on some problem horses and all of that but he might not have ever ridden a finished horse. And so he could be the best hand in the world, but if he doesn't know what a finished horse feels like to ride, how is he going to train that horse to a high level of finish? So most people figure that out at some point and do like you did and put yourself in a situation where you can ride those horses. It's a pleasure to ride them. They are, I, I think they're worth their weight in gold when they're the Grand Prix schoolmaster that can teach you because if you don't do it right, they're not going to do it. So you really learn your cues yeah. and your aids all the way down and to the horse. And when you do it right, they do it. Absolutely. And so that you go, oh, this is good. I, I actually know how to do this versus when you're always riding your green horse. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's just great. Now, Julie, what do you think about folks that um, do a lot of canter on the trail so they're outside of the arena and they're doing a lot of can or let's say that they're, you know, com- competing like in endurance or competitive trail riding or maybe they just want a canner on the trail. Um, what are some different thoughts on, on doing that? Well, a couple of things. One is we were talking earlier about that one-leaded horse and that once we ruled out any chance of physical problems or physical causes, we have to look to training. And one of one of the most common ways I know of to inadvertently train a horse to be one-leaded is by riding out on the ranch and riding out on the trail and cueing him to canter without paying attention to which lead he takes. And, you know, if you're just cantering straight line down the trail, in most instances, you don't really care what lead he takes. And so, but what happens from the horse's point of view is the cue to canter means canter on whichever lead you want. And so, he always canters on his favorite lead. And so then fast forward, you know, a year or whatever, he's never had to think about which lead to take, and the cue to canter only means canter. It doesn't doesn't specify a lead to him. So then you have to go back and reteach that. And so one thing I think for trail riders or people riding out in the open to be aware of is when you cue the horse to canter, you should cue him for a specific lead, and make sure he takes that lead so that you're not um, anti-training him. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, another thing that comes to mind when we talk about cantering out on the trail is uh, I think it's a great way for people that might be a little bit fearful to learn to canter. Um, a horse will be much easier to get into the canter out in the open. And the idea, we used to do this uh, when I do clinics here at my place, um, if we had somebody that was really afraid of cantering, we'd take the whole big group out on the trail, and there's this one nice, sandy stretch of road that was a slight uphill. Um, and 
we would just surround, we'd have horses in front, horses on both sides and horses behind. And then we'd say, okay, you ready? And and uh, everybody pick up the canter. And of course the horse is going to pick it up because every other horse is cantering. And there's no turning, there's no stopping, you're going slightly uphill, so the horse is not going to be doing anything um, untoward because he's just working it going uphill. <laughs> so, and, and the balance is a little bit um, easier going uphill. So, anyway, that's a great way for people just to learn how to canter in a relaxed manner. And I, I think in many ways it's much easier than doing it in the arena. Uh, of course, the downside is there's no confinement, um, so you want to make sure that you have a trustworthy horse to ride and somebody is in front and in charge and kind of guiding that horse along. But those are two things that come to mind about tail riding and cantering. Uh, is there something specific you were wondering about? No, I think that's great. I I, I love how you touched on the going uphill because you're absolutely right. Even at walk or trot, going uphill is always a little bit easier than, you know, downhill. And I love how you said in a controlled manner. And then, of course, the sand, it's just like any athlete, right? If we run on the beach, we always want to run near the ocean because it's like running on, you know, nice hard dirt versus running <laughs> yeah. where everyone sits, right? That's why no one ever runs where anyone sits because, boy, it's rough to run in that deep stuff. So the same thing with the horse. So I think that both of those ideas are just super and I know a lot of people, you know, that are listening might not necessarily always have access to an arena, but still want to try to do the canter and some of the things. So thank you for mm-hmm. sharing those. I think those are great. The one word of caution I would have for cantering out out, out of the arena is um, be wary of grass. Um, most grass is kind of clumpy and easy for the horse to stub his toes on. Um, and then the worst thing is wet grass. There's nothing slicker than wet grass, so I would avoid all of that. Well, Kirsty, we are plain running out of time. We're going to have to canter on out of the show here very shortly. Uh, But, uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining us again. Of course, you can find Julie's TV show on RFD TV and uh, uh, Horse Master, and you're still on, if I remember right, Mondays and Saturdays. Is that right? Yeah, we have uh, Mondays and Saturdays. Also, we have an airing on Friday. And uh, so it actually airs four times a week, so it's easy to easy to catch and easy to record on your DVR. Barry, how long have you been doing that TV show now? It's been years. We're in our seventh year now. Wow. So, yeah, we're finally wrote- getting it down. <laughs> <laughs> Taking you a lot less time to record now? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> figuring it out well Julie thank you so much it's so good to talk to you again what's your website juliegoodnight.com and uh, all kinds of information and educational resources available there and uh, we also have some new membership programs um, that are launching to give you personal attention and an interactive uh, program with you and your horse so that's exciting for us and that's at juliegoodnight.com Thank you, Julie. Take care of that cold. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye, Julie. Bye-bye. Bye. I like Julie. She's always concise, and she just gets to the point. You know, she doesn't fool around. (laughs) She's that way in her clinics, too, which I really like. And And she has exercises that she can explain by radio. 
Yes, exactly, which is not easy. You know, it's not easy talking about how to uh, do flying lead changes when you're not looking at anybody doing flying lead changes. So True, and uh, you know, we all move more... our bodies. I sit here, literally, and I'm moving my body when I'm explaining an exercise to you, and I'm thinking, they can't see that, but gosh, it helps me explain <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, after a while of doing this, you learn not to talk with your hands anymore because it really doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Oh, it's, well, when that finally does hit in, I'll go ahead and let you know, but it hasn't yet. I'm still over here waving my arms around. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. I do want to mention that uh, you have two clinics that are coming up in March. Uh, do you want to, do you want to chat, uh, just mention those real quick? Absolutely. We've got um, March 24th through 30th, yep, through Certified Horsemanship Association. If you want to get certified in um, English and or Western or both, we have our uh, all-discipline standard instructor certification going on. There's one in British Columbia in Oliver. And then we also have the end of the month going on into April 4th. Canyon View Equestrian Center is doing one in Silverton, Oregon. And both of those are lovely places. And if you get on our website, chainstructors.com. You can find an instructor near you, find a barn near you, or get certified yourself. And for all of the CHA listeners today who don't listen on a regular basis, I wanted to mention that we have uh, 11 different shows here on the Horse Radio Network. You can find them all. If you're not listening on our free app, you can find all of our shows on our free app, On uh, whether you have iPhone or Android. Just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. Uh, you can listen to the recorded version of the morning show. Unfortunately, we don't have the technology yet to listen to the live version of the morning show. That'll that'll come at some point, I'm sure. You can follow us uh, at Horse Radio Network on Twitter, just uh, at Horse Radio. And, of course, the Horses in the Morning Show has our own Facebook page, and it's very active over there. So hop on over to Horses in the Morning. Tomorrow morning, we're, we're playing a new game since we talked last, Christy. It's called the EquityMFG.com Celebrity Trivia Challenge. And we have a listener who plays against a equine celebrity in a three-round trivia match. Last week, we had the owner of Mucho Macho Man, the winner of the, uh, of the um, classic last year and one of the top racehorses in the country. He was kind enough to come on and play one of our listeners in, in trivia. It was so much fun. We had Gina Miles on, the Olympic eventer, a couple weeks ago. And tomorrow morning, we are having Templeton Thompson, singer-songwriter and much beloved here in the horse world. She's coming on, the cowgirl, to play one of our listeners in uh, trivia. So be sure to join us tomorrow morning for the trivia. And you can actually sign up to play yourself if you want to join us on Wednesday morning. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com and search for the big banner in the middle of the page. Click on it. It's just four simple questions, and you can get signed up to play as well. So that's something fun and new and different that we're doing. We'll have to get Julie back to play trivia. What do you think? That would be fun. Yes, absolutely. And you couldn't ask anything about training because she would know it all. We'd have to avoid those questions and go to questions a little outside of her comfort zone, I think, because otherwise she would just win. (laughs) You would have to be very creative on those. I think that would be fun to come up with stuff that would stump Julie, huh? I don't know about that. We're going to have to work hard. Jennifer's in charge of that. She has to come up with all the questions, and uh, uh, it's not easy some weeks because, you know, when you got Gina Miles on, you can't ask an eventing question that she doesn't know, although Jennifer did find one or two. So uh, it, it, it's been interesting. The last couple of weeks, we've gone to tiebreakers. So it's been a lot of fun, fun playing that game. 
Yep. Thank you so much for joining us, Christy. Thank you, audience. We appreciate you being here. We'll be back again tomorrow morning live here on Horses in the Morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And, of course, Christy will be back next month, third Tuesday of the month. And thanks to the Certified Horsemanship Association. We'll see you, Christy. Be safe. Bye, Glenn. Ride with your helmet on your head.